0: Hello, and welcome to Our Bodies, Our Voices podcast. We're your hosts, Joanna and Becca. We're two women in our 30s, and we interview individuals and experts on topics related to fertility, family building, career, exercising our voices, and more. Our guests today are Lindsay and Amy. Lindsay is a friend and coworker of mine, and I'm excited that her wife, Amy, is able to join us for today's conversation. In this episode, we chat with Lindsay and Amy about their journey towards parenthood as a same-sex couple, as well as how they're navigating Amy's third trimester of pregnancy and how they're planning for their birth amidst a period of shutdown due to COVID-19. We're also excited to help elevate their story as it is often less common to hear family planning journeys from same-sex couples. All right, we're gonna get started with a softball. We'll have each one of you introduce yourself. And Amy, let's start with you first.
1: So my name is Amy. I am 35 years old, nearly 36. Lindsay and I have been together for coming up to six years. Yeah, six years. And have been planning our kind of baby journey and motherhood together for quite a while now. I would say probably 18 months. I mean, longer than that. But yeah, yeah, somewhere around that. And yeah, we, we have a great story around that what is something that listeners should know about you i've been living in the bay area for coming up to four years originally from melbourne australia and have traipsed around and been lucky enough to live in different parts of the world had a stint in europe and singapore and have now found my home in california so hope to make some nice roots here with the family Thank you. And
2: Lindsay, tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Lindsay Vitus. I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri, so mid- midwesterner through and through. I have also been in the Bay Area for about six years. I work in, in software, I've worked in tech for a long time, probably 10 years now, different flavors of it. I like to cook. I am a loyal Bon Appetit subscriber. <laughs> And food and my dog is ninety eight percent of my Instagram
0: content. Very important. Ziggy is going to have to move over and make some room for baby.
1: That's mm-hmm. right.
0: Tell us a little bit about your relationship. Where should we begin?
2: Yeah, I mean, Amy and I like could not be more different in so many ways. She is a very much a Gemini. I am a Virgo, and we are like the perfect archetypes of our signs. I and very practical. I'm like, she calls me her rock, which I envision as like something literally holding her down from accomplishing her dreams. But she assures me that's not the case. But yeah, we met in Singapore. I was working in Singapore. That's why I was there. And Amy had moved to Singapore with her previous partner, but was also working there. We met at a barbecue with a bunch of our friends and just like developed this great friendship. Shortly after we met, I was offered a job in San Francisco. So decided I was moving from Singapore and Amy like made it her mission to help me check off my bucket list items in Southeast Asia. So we just got super close in the remainder of my time in Singapore and then decided that we were just like each other's soulmates. We literally decided that like 11 days before I moved. And so over the course of a long distance relationship across the Pacific Ocean between Singapore and San Francisco for a few months, we decided that Amy would move to
1: California. Amy, is there anything you'd add to that? I love our story. It's like very unique. We have overcome a lot of challenges in a very short period of time, which helped us grow our relationship into like one of the strongest that I'll probably ever have. Just going through, you know, like coming out to our families that we were in a same sex relationship, doing a long distance relationship very early on was very challenging and then going through fertility and like how do we build a family with the relationship that we have so yeah very very special story
3: that's a great time to actually hear about your journey so Amy you had mentioned that the two of you've been talking for a long time about family building thinking about how you want to approach this could you tell us about how your journey's gone and catch us up to where you are today
1: we had been together a while We'd had conversations about, you know, the future and what kind of family we wanted to build. Funnily enough, I remember Lindsay early on saying, like, I never envisioned really having kids until I met you. So that was, you know, a new feeling for her. But, yeah, we we started to think about obviously being in a same-sex relationship, like how, you know, what are the possibilities out there? And I remember one day we were having a conversation and I got, Like quite emotional, and I said, you know, I want to have your kids. Like, how can we make this happen? Yeah, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) And so we decided that ideal scenario would be to use her egg, and then have one of my brothers, of which I have two, that we could ask to be our donor, and therefore have the mix of genes that we would bring to a baby. So it was a very kind of off, off the cuff, but meaningful conversation that we had. And then I flew to Melbourne for my brother's wedding and my sister-in-law picked me up from the airport. We went to a little cafe to have coffee and she blurted out. Oh my God, your brother said the cutest thing the other day. You know, he asked me if Lindsay and Amy wanted to have kids, you know, how would she feel about it? And he would love to offer. And I was just gobsmacked because that was the ideal scenario that we had talked about. And yeah, it kind of rolled on from there. Lindsay arrived in Melbourne not long after. And yeah, really excited. So we kind of
3: moved on to the logistics. I've spoken to a number of women in same-sex couples. These details are so helpful because they just don't always understand, like, how do you work in the logistics in particular? of Do you do IUI? How do you think of the donor? So I think yeah. Yeah. if you're comfortable, how did you um, think about this? I know I've spoken to a number of women who have asked about logistics and that's always a big question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we were surprised. Yeah. So yeah, that we, we started thinking about logistics and timing. We had some consultations at UCSF um, to look at our own fertility and kind of think about, you know, what, what our bodies looked like. We actually didn't
2: do any due diligence <laughs> until right. like we knew that we did like little to no due diligence actually. And then we were having our wedding in in california and so all the family my family from the midwest amy's family from australia was going to be coming to california so we knew that brendan amy's brother who's our donor was going to be in the bay area and so we were like oh this is probably pretty easy for him to just like drop off some sperm so (laughs) we're not that concerned about getting the timing exactly right which turned out to not be that true at all so we actually didn't have our first consultation at UCSF until like three days after our wedding. And Brendan and his family were staying in town for like eight days after the wedding just for the holiday. And so we did our consultation at UCSF. Both of us were super fortunate in that that initial con- consultation showed that we were both quite fertile. So there weren't any like red flags that there would need to be this bigger, like bigger treatment before we did an in, in egg harvest scheme. But then we found out that Brendan has to be here for Like five days, he has to have like four scheduled appointments to complete his donation, if you will. And it wasn't possible to get those four scheduled appointments in the timeframe that he was here. So that was really the thing that extended our journey because then he went back to Australia. FDA requires that any bodily fluid transfer happens within the country. So he couldn't donate at a an Australian hospital and then have it shipped here. So really it was like, we need to get Brendan back to San Francisco, which is not as easy because he has a big job and two kids and a wife at home himself. So really it was like, we need to get Brendan back to San Francisco. So we got Brendan back to San Francisco, but probably, I guess like 10 months later, than we were expecting to really start the process. But Brendan came out with, We wine and dined him and he was an absolute champ and did his thing for us. And then went back to Melbourne and then, and then from there, it was like anybody that has been through this knows that like the scheduling required around an egg harvest is just kind of insane. And you have to be available for ultrasounds pretty much every day or every other day for the period of time that you're going through the treatment. And then ours was... Even more so complicated because we wanted to do a fresh transfer of the embryo. So Amy needed to start treatment to prepare her body to start tricking itself into thinking she would be or could get pregnant. So like timing our cycles exactly right, which is like 28 days essentially of medications for Amy. And then we had to plan my egg stimulation or follicle stimulation within that. And I had like work travel, like in the middle of it. So yeah. And yeah, Amy was traveling all over the world for her job. And so between our first consultation at UCSF to when we actually started the treatments required, it was like almost exactly a year. I think it was 11 months. Yeah. And in between that time, Brendan flew to San Francisco to give us a sperm. Then once we finally got on the calendar and... Did the treatment? We were super lucky in that our first transfer was successful. We were able to harvest twenty-four eggs um, in my first round, and we got seventeen embryos to day five blast. So just super, super, super fortunate, and we are well aware of that now.
3: But yeah, it's that's made amazing. It's, did you yeah. do genetic testing?
2: No, no. This I, I'm thirty-two. I was thirty-one when I when I did the. Egg harvest. And they said if you're younger than 35, most and you have a high follicle count, you probably don't need to do the testing.
1: Plus, I think combined with the fact that I know my brother's medical history, but wasn't a donor that was unknown to us. He has two
2: very healthy children. Yeah, he has
1: um, has beautiful children. So we kind of felt safe in the knowledge that we knew enough about our family history to go ahead without doing genetic testing.
0: Yeah. I have two questions about different parts of the journey. Describe the day that you found out that you'd had a successful transfer.
1: It was a work day. I got a call from our, one of our nurse administrators at UCSF to say that the transfer was successful. I was like so overjoyed and relieved because we'd had to wait, I think, maybe 10 days. Nine days, yeah. Nine days. Called cool. Lindsay straight away, and we were just both like just glowing. I could just feel that we were both like so relieved and so excited. We
2: had done so much work to manage our own expectations. Like every day, we were like, it's probably not going to happen this time. And we need to be okay with that. But like for sure, deep down, we were, were super hoping that it was going to be this time. But yeah, we looked out. Definitely like a sigh of relief. But then, like this immediately following these nerves, knowing that day nine means nothing. And so many miscarriages happen between like weeks eight and 12. And so, yeah. It was a temporary sense of relief for sure.
0: My second question is if when discussing with Brendan, him becoming your donor, besides acknowledging the fact that both of you had had the same independent thought or desire to do this, what other things did you discuss before he actually committed to make the donation?
1: So part of the process at UCSF is that we had to talk with a psychologist And so did Brendan and his wife as well. And it was a really remarkable conversation. She had been doing that for a long time and she commented on how unique and special our scenario was for fertility, given that I wanted to carry a baby and we could use them egg and it was my brother's sperm. She was blown away by that. But aside from that, the questions that we kind of looked at, responsibility of the baby, and the legalities around guardianship or making decisions for the baby, given that I'm very close with my brother and you know where the lines were kind of drawn there. And my brother and his wife had the same lines of questions. And it was just a really interesting thought process to have this conversation and think about all of those bigger questions of, you know, what what happens when something happens to us, or what happens if Brendan feels strongly about a certain thing, you know, how does that yes. impact our family
2: yeah sort of studying like roles and responsibilities which was easy but the things that we hadn't thought about were like what do we tell our kid do we tell them about brendan's special gift that he get? you know what i mean and the answer was like for sure yes but we hadn't really thought about those things so it just forced us to think about those things which was kind of awesome like it was a fun exercise but when we actually talked to brendan about him doing this it didn't require that much like he, he was just like yeah of course I think he was just, like, um, super stoked to be able to help his big sister out in such a meaningful way. There was, like, no hesitation whatsoever.
1: He loves babies.
2: Yeah, he also loves babies. Loves
0: babies. Yeah. Well, one last question about Brendan. Will he have any, you know, special responsibilities in the rearing? Be even, you know, naming inspiration or anything?
2: So we're not going to answer the latter question, but... (laughs) No, like certainly, no added responsibilities, but we do want our child to know about this like special thing that Brendan did for us and and him, and part of our hope is that you know Brendan and his family are 11,000 I don't know a lot of miles away so it could be that like there's no connection between them but it could be that they meet and there's this like profound connection and we hope we hope the latter is the case because what a cool way to across an ocean continue to develop and and nurture this bond between not only Brendan but his wonderful wife and their beautiful children and like his cousins you know so certainly no responsibilities of him and and he will have no decision-making authority over what we do with our child. But we certainly hope that, or we would love, like what a special outcome to be that like they have this sort of like innate special connection
3: and it would be lovely if that were the case. And then, so catching up to today, Amy, where are you in your pregnancy right now?
1: I am 39 weeks as of yesterday. 39 weeks one day. Yeah. So getting close to the end. We're very excited. We're getting very impatient. There is no surface that hasn't been cleaned in this house. We're just ready. (laughs) Everything's ready. So um, trying to enjoy the peace, trying to sleep and nap and conserve energy as much as possible, waiting for the moment the baby decides to arrive.
0: (laughs) Thinking about where we're globally, we're curious, how did you first hear
1: about COVID-19? I remember hearing about it. We were on holiday in between Christmas and New Year in Hawaii, and the headlines were hitting from China around then about you know the pandemic you know hitting the country pretty hard and things that were happening and how the the country was responding to the pandemic and It felt pretty far away. It felt like something that was unique to China at the time, and of course none of us knew that the scale of the pandemic would grow to something that it is today.
3: It sounds like if that was around New Year, so you were about four months pregnant. Can you share with us or for both of you, how COVID has kind of been intertwined with your pregnancy journey and looking forward as well, how it might be impacting your birth plan or your postpartum plan?
2: From my perspective, what it's impacted is we were going to have another baby shower and our OB visits are less. Like We should be seeing our OB every week and we should have been seeing our OB every week for the last three weeks, but we're not. We're seeing her every other week just because they don't want us to be potentially infected. And We were going to do a little bit more traveling before the baby got here and like that's just not the right thing to do. The birth plan wasn't really an- impacted that much. I'll still be able to be in the delivery room. I was always going to be the only one in the delivery room and my family wasn't going to be visiting until like a week after the due date anyway there's no visitors allowed in the hospital but we wouldn't have had them anyway i can't think of anything else in our birth plan that was really impacted but it's really more like the life things before and after like it would be great if amy could be hanging out with her soon-to-be mom friends and having lunch and talking about like how crazy pregnancy is and doing that in real life over decaffeinated coffees or whatever. But she can't, like, it's all, like, via text message or phone calls. We were planning to do a lot of travel when the baby was really young, too, because that's the easiest time to do it. And now if we do, it's going to look drastically different. We were planning to spend three weeks in Australia within, like, the first three months, and we're not going to be able to do that. So it's much more lifestyle stuff. It's, like, not going to be able to just take the baby to the coffee shop during our parental leaves and and things like that which feels different than what we planned but in the grand scheme of things we still feel very fortunate
1: yeah I I would say as as a pregnant person I actually feel very lucky I mean pregnancy as everybody knows can be quite hard on your body so being able to be forced home and just being in your house you know cooking healthy meals napping being out of you know the, the the public and the hustle is something that is very ideal for a pregnant person. So that I feel very grateful for. I will say the two things that I've had to manage more is probably setting kind of boundaries around what I'm consuming in terms of media and information that's out there. Very early on learned I needed to, to not read the news and try and focus on my body and how I'm feeling and manage my emotions and try and keep, you know, relaxed and stress-free. And then I think the connection part, I was very fortunate just before the lockdown to have connected with some soon-to-be mums. I had connected with a group of about 10 expectant mums. We met up in Oakland one day, and I connected with quite a few of them. And then the lockdown hit, and we saw the value of connecting with each other so greatly that we can continue to have like group Zooms and we created Google Docs to share resources. There was a bunch of kind of things that we all did together. And that really helped because I have an amazing wife who also happens to be a woman. So understands like some of the aspects of what you're going through being pregnant, but it is so refreshing to have those other connections of talking through all of the crazy symptoms that you get as a pregnant woman. That it was so helpful to have those connections there. And then, yeah, I think something along the connection kind of line is, you know, our families. You know, what does it look like? When are we going to see them? When are they going to meet the baby? They're like questions that I think about all, all the time. And we'll just have to, again, be grateful for the time when that comes.
0: When you think back about your fertility journey and your family building plans, as well as this period now with the pregnancy, is there any advice that you would give other families in your situation that you wish that you would have known or as they prepare for their own journey?
2: We have other friends that are going through something similar. It's taking longer to get answers because clinics aren't open. Like everything's just sort of halted. And like, once you've made the decision that you want to start a family, you want to start a family. And so that almost like vacuum You don't know what you could or should be doing. You can't go talk to your doctor because the clinic's not open. That is an unbearable. I don't have any answers for that. And it feels like people that aren't as far along as we are, it feels like there would be a lot more people in that space and like no answers and like cannot imagine what those people are going through. But I do think. We had like more of a self-inflicted weight <laughs> that was just like bad organization on our part. And the weight is worth it, I guess, um, is what I would say about it.
0: What what have better organization look like for you?
2: <sighs> like looking up at... If- Donating sperm was more than just like going to a sperm bank for 30 minutes <laughs> and assuming that you could just like slide in while you're in the Bay Area for a 10 day period of time. Um, like, literally, we did nothing. Like, there's a bare minimum that you can do. That's probably like a little bit of Google searching. I was literally just Googling the address of the Berkeley sper- Sperm Bank because I assumed that we could just pop in and then called them, and they were like, no, that's not how this works at all. So like maybe a Google search in advance would be a good idea.
0: Or perhaps listening to this podcast.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I generally am of the mind. I don't like to Google like medical things often because I'm not an expert. I'm not a biologist. A little information feels very dangerous for me. And so I generally like to just talk to doctors and have them tell me things. We didn't do a ton of research on IVF before we went and talked to a reproductive
3: specialist. Your point around you think about it, you think about it, you think about it, and then when you decide you're ready, you're ready. And that anything that delays it can be so frustrating, that resonates with me so much. Cause I think similarly, I had so many conversations and was thinking about it, but didn't really understand what it was and what's involved or any of the information or data around how inefficient getting pregnant and fertility treatments can actually be. And so I think similarly that's something that I know I personally hope that others learn about this, that it takes a long time to get to that point where you realize you're ready. And it would be really helpful to know that once you are, you may not just then be able to have a baby in nine months. And that there's often a lot of things that can go wrong, particularly if you're using any assisted reproductive technology, that that can take months to get scheduled. Things don't always go as planned. And then not every pregnancy makes it. So I think that's a really important point that you made. And I know many people I've spoken to have experienced that as well.
0: Yeah, I have one last question. As someone who's about to embark on a fertility journey and knowing, Lindsay, that you are very passionate about financial planning, my last question is around how did you approach preparing financially for some of the family building activities that you and Amy pursued?
2: Yeah, I mean, we had also thrown a wedding not that long before we started all this, which is also super expensive. So we were just like really focused on what we were trying to achieve and what it would take to achieve it. We were super fortunate that we both have good jobs. And we just like went without some of the things that we would normally go with. And it didn't feel that hard when you know like what the goal is. But one thing that we did do was we went to UCSF. The reviews are maybe not as glowing as some of the private clinics. Their success rate is technically lower than a lot of the private, private clinics, but like the data there is flawed. UCSF will not turn away any patient, regardless of how unlikely it is that they get pregnant, whereas a lot of private clinics will. Because they want to boost their success rates. So we went to to UCSF. They have a self-pay option that's massively discounted <sighs> if your insurance doesn't cover the treatment, which ours doesn't. And then one other thing, the treatment is expensive, but then the medicines are super expensive. Oftentimes, like that's actually the bulk of the cost. And UCSF, because it's a public university and because it's a teaching facility, has a special like negotiated rate with two pharmacies in the Bay Area. So we we paid probably 15% of the full costs on the medicines alone, which was a massive saving. So we actually ended up spending about 60%
0: of what we expected to spend on it. Wow. You don't often hear about people framing their journey as with having some savings or less than they expected. and that, So that is very valuable information. Thank yeah. you.
2: And it like did I've read like it it feels like a factory. It didn't at all. We loved our doctors, we loved our nurses, we loved the lady at the front desk that checked us in.
1: Yeah, yeah. it was a great facility. It was
2: awesome.
1: I guess too, like going back to the planning aspect, we didn't realize that we had to fly my brother out from Australia to do the donations. So again, research is key. That was, you know, a, an additional cost that we hadn't factored in. But
3: again, because of the cost savings, we we ended up okay. Great. Let's go to our two final questions. What is one thing you've learned about your body through this whole journey?
1: I have learned so much about my body. I have always been someone that's been very in tune with what is happening with my body. I have a lot of general sensitivities, so I'm always kind of when I have a symptom I want to address it straight away and I I want to get to the root cause. Pregnancy is a whole other ball game in terms of in terms of that. You know, sometimes the answer is hormones, sometimes it's other things and you just kind of write it out. I think a big one for me that I've learnt in this process though is how much your mind affects your body. I've been very focused on trying to be as relaxed as possible. So I'm meditating every day. I try and do yoga, walking. You know, when when COVID hit and all of our hospital classes were cancelled. I took up a hypnobirthing online course, which has just changed my whole perception of childbirth and the process of laboring and everything that you can do to prepare your mind for what your body is about to do. And that has been really fascinating. It's been a really, really great journey in that respect that I've been able to really fine tune mindfulness, you know, throughout this whole process.
2: Yeah. One thing I learned, one Amy is so strong and Watching her approach each change in her body with such curiosity has been super fun. I've always said that I wasn't totally sure I wouldn't have kids. And now, of course, like now I'm thrilled that I'm having children. And now it's almost like I was worried early on that I would feel like some jealousy that like, she can breastfeed and like that bond that that creates between mother and child. And all that kind of thing. But Amy has made me so involved in each part of it. Like every time the baby's kicking, she runs across the house and like grabs my hand and puts it on her belly. And like does all these things to make sure I'm feeling like ultra involved in, in the full process. But like her body's incredible. It's every time you hear the heartbeat on the little sonogram, it's just like, whoa, like your body created
0: that life, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. The last question that we love to ask everyone is... What is one way that you are using your voice during this time?
2: I read a book to the baby every night. And I picked my song with the baby. So I sing him Beautiful Boy by John Lennon every few nights. That's going to be our song. And he responds, kicks a little bit. I think like Amy and I, our relationship has never been stronger. We express our like love and gratitude for one another all the time. And we always have been that often, but like more often than ever, we we do now. And I think just trying to capture the last remaining moments that so we can talk to each other, just the two of us versus like having this kid hanging around us. We're trying to do that as as much as possible. So yeah, really like using our voice to say, just connect with each other more than ever before.
1: I would say trying to be as, as positive and optimistic as possible. Again, not, by not consuming any media or news about all of the bad things that are happening in the world has really helped. <laughs> I'm kind of in a, my own little zen bubble, but with that I've been able to stay positive and I feel like I've been able to support other people in my life like Lindsay and my family and my friends that are going through furloughs and layoffs and, you know, are dealing with a great deal of uncertainty from this place of having quite a lot of peace around how I've been feeling because I'm, I'm trying to, to focus on being that that kind of Zen person um, in the midst of all the chaos and just, yeah, trying to see the silver linings in everything that is happening in the world. There's a lot of good stories out there too. You know, people are connecting more than they have before, even though it's not person to person. And, you know, we're all being being shown what we have to be grateful for, you know, a house, you know, somewhere secure to shelter, access to food and water, things like that. It's really come down to the little things each day that, you know, we can be grateful for.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story with such candor and the love is palpable.
3: Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing your story as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of our bodies, our voices podcast with Amy and Lindsay. We really enjoyed talking to Lindsay and Amy and hearing about their journey towards parenthood. And the excitement as their due date looms. To hear more episodes or to get in touch, visit ourbodiesourvoices.com. Catch you later.